So tonight we're looking at a child like no other. And uh, we'll start in Luke 1 and verses 30 to 33, but looking at some other passages as we go through. Whenever parents are blessed with children, many will be convinced that their children are the best. And uh, no doubt will have hearts full of hopes and expectations. But when a child comes into this world, our hopes for them are just that. They are hopes. Our wishes for them are no more than that because to us, we don't know what their future will be. We don't know how they will turn out. We do not know what they will become, what they'll do. And so if we're Christian parents, we seek to bring them up in the ways of the Lord and commend them into his care. And we carry as well that anxiety and concern for them through their years and keep bringing them to the Lord. But we don't know how things will be. We look to the Lord. But Jesus was a child like no other. At the birth of the child of Bethlehem, all that needed to be known had been revealed. Who the child was, why he had come, what he had come to do, and how he would impact this world. And Mary and Joseph were blessed with caring for the most astounding child that the world has ever known. The promised Messiah, the Savior, the one to whom the whole of the Old Testament pointed. Now, some might say, if you read earlier on in Luke 1, well, John the Baptist, he also had prophecy concerning him. Much was said concerning his role. And John the Baptist, born to a priest called Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, he was going to be the forerunner. But even though that was clear and even though that's there... Even though much was said about the ministry of John the Baptist, there were still many questions that remained. And so, for example, in Luke 1:66, the question is still asked of him, what kind of child will this be? But the child born after John the Baptist, the child whose life and history was pre-written throughout the Old Testament and announced in the New is far more unique, the Lord Jesus there were so many amazing things written and said about Jesus, so much so that in Luke 2.33 it says, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. They marveled. And so what was said of him? What was so amazing? Well, we begin to see the answers to that question in our text. Luke 1 verses 30 to 33. And you have these angelic announcements and more towards uh, the end of uh, the passage in Luke and things as they go on, they amaze Joseph and Mary. If you look in verse 32, it says of Jesus that he shall be great. Now, there are some who might point out that a statement of greatness was also made of John the Baptist. If you look at Luke 1 and verse 15, it says of John that he will be great in the sight of the Lord. So you say, well, how then is the Lord Jesus unique? How is he a child like no other? Well, John the Baptist was to be great, so was Jesus. The word means to be wonderful, magnificent, extraordinary, and noble. It sets a person apart. John the Baptist was great. He would be the forerunner. He would be the great prophet. He would go before Messiah. But the Lord Jesus Christ is great in a way that surpasses even John the Baptist. He is first, and none can compare to him. And so we ask him, well, what made Jesus great? What was and is so amazing about this child, about the Lord Jesus? 
Well, we're told a number of things, and let's look at them together. The first is that this child, Jesus, is the Son of the Most High. This declares very clearly that Jesus is God. That is so essential to understand tonight. Luke refers in our passage, he refers to God with that term, the Most High. It's very interesting, if you were to read through the Gospel of Luke, he often uses this title to identify God. Just as the angel in verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest, the Most High, will overshadow you. If you were to look further on in Luke 1 verse 76, the testimony of Zacharias when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he says a new child will be called the prophet of the highest. And so the angel and Zacharias, inspired by the Spirit, they call God the Most High. A little bit later on in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, You shall be the sons of the Most High, speaking to his disciples. And then in the book of Acts, which we know was uh, penned by Luke under the inspiration of the Spirit, in Acts 7, 48, he uses the same term, the Most High. It's interesting that there is an occasion even when the demons refer to God as the Most High or the Highest. So this title is important. Now, why is it important? Well, this title, God the Most High, refers to his sovereignty, God's all-surpassing supremacy, that there is no one higher than God. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew for this is El Elyon. And wherever it is used, it draws in the idea of God's sovereign, immense power, his authority, his supremacy, that he cannot be challenged, that there is none higher than him in any way. And this shows itself again and again in the way God demonstrates he is the most high. Let me give you some examples. So Deuteronomy 32.8, it says, the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations. So you see that God is in control. He is sovereign over the nations. Psalm 47.2, the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. So the Most High, sovereign over all the earth. If you were to read through in the book of Daniel, in Daniel's prophecy, he says, The Most High rules in the earth and gives the kingdoms of men to whomsoever he will. So all of those verses, they show that the Most High God is in control. He is sovereign over the nations. And then in 2 Samuel twenty-two fourteen, the Most High is described as controlling the water, the clouds, the skies, the lightnings, the thunders, the seas, the rain. It says, the Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. So he's sovereign over nature. Not just nations, but, but nature. He's in control of the universe. You can go on, Psalm 7, 17 and Psalm 9, 2. God is shown to have power over the wicked, the rebellious, the disobedient says, sing praise to the Most High for the reason that he is sovereign over the unrighteous. He is sovereign over the unrighteous. And then in Psalm 21.7, it speaks of the mercy of the Most High given in salvation to those who trust him. 
So you have the fact that God is in control. He is sovereign over the unrighteous, but also he's sovereign over the righteous as well as he grants them the grace and the mercy of salvation. Psalm 46 refers to the tabernacles of the Most High where God's people find protection and safety and security and comfort. And that tells us that God is sovereign over his own people. He cares for them and holds them. In Daniel 7, 18, it says that we are the saints of the Most High. We belong to him. We are set apart to him if we are believers. If you're to read Lamentations 3, there is a full statement that says that God is the Most High, that he is sovereign over all evil and good. And so this title pulls all those things together, that God is sovereign over nations, over nature, over the righteous, the unrighteous, over the people he has redeemed, over all things. He is the Most High. There is none like him. And you say, well, why is this important? Because Jesus will be the Son of the Most High. He is the Son of God. And to say that Jesus is the son of the highest is to say that he bears the character, the nature, the essence of the highest. Son does not imply that the God is a great God and Jesus is somehow below, as some argue. That is not right. It is to say that Jesus bears the same life, the same essence, the same nature as God. Hebrews 1, he is the express image, the exact reproduction of God's image. He is the Son of the Most High. I want you to see this from the Lord Jesus himself. And so I'd like you to turn, if you will, to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And in this passage in John 5, the Jewish leaders are coming at Jesus and persecuting him, and they are seeking to kill him because he healed others on the Sabbath day, which was a violation of their man-made laws and traditions. And so you see that in John 5, verse 16 onwards. And in his response, Jesus affirms the amazing reality of who he is. So John 5, verse 16, he says, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Now, as he says that, it makes the religious leaders furious. Why? Because they knew that by saying those words, he was making himself equal with God, the essence of God. And that is what was said, by the way, by the angel to Mary. He's the son of the Most High. And if you look a little bit further on in John 5 and verse 19, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. So Jesus claims there to be equal in works. He's saying, look, if you're going to condemn me for breaking the Sabbath, effectively you are condemning God. He says, I do not do anything by myself, but whatever the Father does. So he's saying very clearly that he is God. Verse 21, as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. Jesus says that he has the same power to raise the dead physically and spiritually that God does. Astounding claims. 
And as the Son of the Highest, He bears the nature of the Highest. He does the works of the Highest. He is equal in power, and He says He has equal authority. And He goes on, He says, the Son gives life to whom He will. He can make those determinations. He can do as He pleases. Then he says, verse 22, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. So he's equal in judgment too. And verse 23, That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So he's equal in honor. Jesus was clear. He is fully God. Fully God. Again and again, that truth is made clear. He is the Son of God. He is fully God, fully man. The relationship between the Father and the Son is clear. So when the angel said to Mary, he shall be called the Son of the Highest, he's saying this child will be the Son of God. He is the Son of God. who is equal in every way with God. God coming down in human flesh. What did we sing? Those marvelous words. Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. And friend, tonight you need to know as well that his enemies knew exactly what he was saying. The Jewish leaders knew exactly what Jesus claimed, and that's why they hated him. The baby born in Bethlehem is God come down like no other. It is incredible, and what an astonishing thing to be told that the baby that they had been given, the baby that Mary would carry in her womb, the baby that she would hold in her arms is the living God. Do you know, over these next days, God willing, we're going to sing many of the great carols, and they capture the wonder of this. You think on those lines, Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. You see, this child was like no other because Jesus is the Son of the Most High. He's the Son of God. But then back into Luke, and I want you to see this child is like no other because he is the Son of God, but also fully man. If you look at verse 31, Mary is told that she will give birth to a son. It's one thing to consider God coming into this world. He could have come in any way. And in the Old Testament, we know that that God manifested something of himself without the need of a human mother or human birth. Many occasions in the Old Testament when God appeared in some way, but this was different. Because God was coming to accomplish that saving plan, to rescue sinners. And to do that, he had to become man. So in the fullness of time, he came not only as fully God, but also fully man. And so he had to be born as others. But this child was like no other because he was fully God and fully man. In Luke 2, verse 6, it says, So it was that while they were there at Bethlehem, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So Mary's nine-month pregnancy had run its course, and she delivered the child. In that sense, the birth itself was very normal, unlike the conception. Jesus Christ was conceived by the work of the Spirit of God, but he was born in that normal fashion. 
It's amazing to think of the way that God purposed for Jesus to be born to a human mother, but without any involvement of a human father. It's a profound mystery as to how the child could be God, but he was. It's a stunning miracle. This little baby was in every way human, whilst also being fully God. It's interesting, Luke 2.12, the shepherds are told that they would find a real baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in the manger. You know, it goes on in Luke 2, when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child. And so just like any other Jewish baby, they wanted Mary and Joseph to be sure that this one had the sign of the covenant circumcision, the cutting away of the foreskin, And that would be done to the little baby Jesus, just like any other little Jewish baby. And Luke 2.40, the child grew, became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So Jesus grew, and he developed, and he matured. He faced all the temptations, all the challenges, and yet without sin. You see, he was fully man. The humanity of the Savior seen throughout the New Testament, fully God yet fully man. John 1.14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. You think of some of those wonderful verses in the book of Hebrews. You know, there are many, many which draw out these great truths. Hebrews 2.17, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Paul writes in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So Jesus was born like everyone else. He submitted himself to the law, was made like his brethren in all things. Why? Because if he was to be substitute, the substitute for sinners on that cross, he had to be man. If he was to rise from the dead for men, he had to be man. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Again, you think of some of those great lines from the carols. Pleased as man, with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Day by day, like us, he grew. He was little, weak, and helpless. Tears and smiles, like us, he knew. And he feeleth for our sadness, and he shareth in our gladness. Goes on, for that child so dear and gentle is our Lord in heaven above. You see, this child was like no other. Yes, he was fully God, but he was fully man. And thank God that he was willing to take to himself human flesh and nature to be our rescuer, to come to deliver us, to be our redeemer. And so these things set the Lord Jesus apart. But also I want you to see this. that This child is like no other because he is the sinless Holy One. Luke 1 verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Jesus was a child like no other because he was a holy child. That is a glorious truth. There is only one child in the history of humanity of whom that could be said. And that is Jesus, the Holy One. 
No one has ever produced a holy child except Mary by the power of the Spirit of God. Luke 1.15 says, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a wonderful thing, but he was not sinless. He was not perfect. He was still a sinner like you and I. But Jesus was different. He is holiness. He's utterly perfect. You know, imagine no challenge for the parents. Never a moment in the life and experience of that family where Jesus produced any unhappiness caused by something that he did that wasn't as it was ought to be. Never a disobedient word or thought or act. Never a bad attitude. Never a thoughtless or unkind or selfish act. He produced only awe and wonder and respect and worship. There's no other child like that. You know, we look to that day, friends, if we're believers tonight, where in Christ we will be made holy in the glory to come. But he is holy. At his coming, he is holy. He began in a holiness that we can only look for in the future. You know, when we're born, we're sinners. We are in bondage to sin and death. But when he was born, he came in that true holiness because he is holy. He began by by being fully sanctified, began his mission here on earth by being truly holy. If we are believers by God's grace, we will end by being sanctified. There's no child like him. He's undefiled. Never needed discipline, never needed correction, never needed forgiveness, never needed salvation. The holy child, unlike any other child, sinless, pure, amazing. And to think, dear friends, that this sinless one would bear our sin in order to rescue us. He came to save his people from their sins. That this sinless one was born to go to that cruel cross to deliver sinners like you and me from sin and death and hell. He's the holy child. And that is why he's a child like no other. And also this child is king. He is king. Look at verse 32 of Luke 1. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. He will have an eternal kingdom. The Lord will give him that throne, born into that line of David, both Mary and Joseph coming from the line of David, so important because it meant that both the legal line and the royal bloodline come together in Jesus. He is the rightful heir to the throne of David. And this little child they hear will receive the throne of his father David, reign in an eternal kingdom. What an announcement! You know, imagine Mary and Joseph trying to grasp these magnificent statements that are being made about this little one, the king of the universe, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the only potentate, the one who will reign forever. And scripture is full of statements which express that. Philippians 2 say that every knee will bow to him. Of things in the earth, under the earth, all creatures will bow in submission to the kingliness of the Lord Jesus Christ. This child is like no other because he's a king like no other. 
and this child also is the Saviour. Look at Luke 1, 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. To Joseph it was said, Matthew 1, 21, she will bring forth a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Do you know what I mean? It, it would be enough for anyone to know that they were going to be caring for this baby was God. Then God, who is also fully man, who's absolutely holy, who's the sovereign Lord of the universe, the King, but then to find also that he's the only saviour of sinners, that he had come to save all who would be given to trust in him. It's just staggering. Luke 2, 11, the angel announcing to the shepherds, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus born the saviour, the great deliverer. You know, in Luke 2, verse 30, Simeon rejoices because he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. As he holds that child, imagine the joy in his heart. My eyes have seen your salvation. In Luke 2, 38, Anna, the prophetess, a widow, been in the temple serving God with fasting, waiting for the coming of redemption, and she rejoices because the redemption that has arrived in Jerusalem, it has come, the Lord has come, and she spreads the word to all who are looking for that redemption. Jesus is the Savior. Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his mission. Jesus said, the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which was lost. This is the Savior. This is the one born to die for sinners. And over the manger is the shadow of the cross. And that shadow remained all his life until he went to the cross and did that saving work. This was why he came. This was his mission. This was the only way to save men and women from their sin, to pay the penalty of their sin, which is death. Jesus comes to die. The wages of sin is death, but because of him, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. You know, again, the great carols are full of this truth and how we pray for those who will join us in singing them this year that they'll know the truth that they're singing. Christ the Saviour is born. Peace on earth and mercy mild. Why? God and sinners reconciled. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Good Christian then rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now you need not fear the grave. Christ was born to save. Jesus, the child like no other, the saviour like no other. Do you know him, friend? Have you trusted him? And then lastly tonight, this child is like no other because he is the determiner of destinies. Look at verses 34 to 35 of Luke chapter 2, if you will. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Did you know, friend, tonight that Jesus is the determiner of every person's destiny? 
that he is the revealer of the heart. He is the determiner of destiny. And tonight, your response to Jesus defines whether you fall or rise. Your eternal destiny, your falling into the pit of hell or your rising into the glories of heaven depend upon Jesus Christ. You know, it's one thing, isn't it, to have an influential child. But imagine being told that your child is the greatest influence in the world. So influential that the destiny of every living human being is dependent on their relationship to that child. You know, what did we say this morning? He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. It is that clear. He is the determiner of every human being's destiny. Anyone who ever enters heaven does so because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. His perfect life, his death on the cross, his glorious resurrection. Those who go to hell go because they would not have him as their Lord and Savior. Now, some may say to me, well, what about those Old Testament believers? What about those who, who existed before Jesus went to the cross? Well, the work of Jesus is not only applied forward to all his people that there would ever be, but also in time backwards. He's the only saviour. He's the only redeemer. Without him, there is no hope. There is only one way of salvation. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is not one way to be saved in the Old Testament and a different way to be saved in the New. That would be two totally different gospels. In the Old Testament, they were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, looking ahead to the coming of Christ. What did Jesus say in John 8? Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He was glad. We are saved by looking back to the first coming of Christ who died on the cross to bear our sin. In the Old Testament, they looked ahead to his coming. And friend, we all meet at the foot of the cross. It's by grace faith in Christ alone that anyone is saved. Every person's destiny is bound to Christ, including yours tonight. This child, like no other, the Lord Jesus, the determiner of destinies. You know, if you want to be saved, you need to believe in this child like no other. The one who became a man like no other. The one who is the only mediator between God and men and your response to him determines your destiny. You know, again, one of the carols puts into words a right response to Jesus. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. And I pray that it would be so for you, that you would not just see the babe in the manger, but you would see that this is the Christ, the Saviour, who died and rose again, who rules and reigns and one day will return the only Savior. And that you would believe. And that you would believe and be saved and join with the rest of us in rejoicing at this time that we have such a glorious Redeemer. Luke 2.33, Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Joseph and Mary, they marveled. And I pray that this Christmas time, the same wonder and amazement about Jesus will capture our hearts. 
and that we would delight in him. This child like no other, this child who is the king, who is the savior, who is fully God and fully man, the child who saves to the uttermost, the savior who saves to the uttermost all that call upon his name. May it be that you know him and that tonight you can rejoice that your sins are forgiven and that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen.